If you will be taking your Bible and turning to John chapter number 5, let's stand together. John chapter number 5. I want to read verses 1 through 9 and then skip down to verse number 14. John 1 through 5, or 9, excuse me. And then we will skip down to verse number 14. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches, in other words, five colonnades. You can get a visual of that, I'm sure, in your mind. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then, uh, first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Skipping down to verse 14, the Bible says, Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Thank you for standing. This actually marks most believe, and I'm convinced as well, not that I would be as wise as uh, others, but most believe that this event marks the beginning of the second year of Christ's ministry with his feasts. We don't know exactly which feast it is, but we do believe that this begins A.D. 28 in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been on Sundays looking into his life uh, from Sunday to Sunday. This is our 37th look into his life for anyone that may be keeping up. Uh, This is another look. Of course, this scene brings us back into John's gospel and John's gospel, as we have stated before, and we'll try to say things about each gospel from time to time as a reminder, and then we'll try to give you some fresh looks at each of the gospels along the way through this journey, looking at the life and ministry of Christ. Most of what is recorded in John's gospel is not recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of course, we know to be the synoptic writers. They write a lot of the same. They may give you an extra word or an added phrase or a different angle on a scene, but uh, they write the same. They see the same. They write primarily about the same events. Not so with John. In John chapter number 1, we're given verbal testimony to the deity of Christ, first of all, then the humanity of Christ in John 1. In John 2 through John chapter number 12, we have what John records of his public ministry, Christ's public ministry. Chapters 13 through 17, there is his private ministry to his disciples. And uh, very rich chapters, as are all the chapters of the book of John. Chapter 18, to the end of the book, you have the death, burial, resurrection, and post-resurrection scenes from the life of Christ, as John recorded them. The key verses to the book of John, if you've not already marked them, or if you don't have a study Bible that, that highlights them for you, 
Those verses are John chapter number 20, verses 30 and 31. Those verses read, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. I used to listen to on Sunday mornings. We'd turn on uh, our television sets to uh, to hear Adrian Rogers preach while we readied for church. Quite often you would hear him give um, advice to young converts newly saved. Uh, he would advise them not to start in the book of Genesis with their Bible reading, but start in the Gospel of John. Because John was so easily understood. John wants you to believe and he wants you to get it. He wants you to know Christ. Then, of course, in 1 John, what a treatise on sin and on Christ we have. One of the love chapters of the Bible is 1 John 4. It gives us so much other. In John's gospel, the one-on-one, the private encounters with individuals are unique to John's gospel. You know that. We've already noticed a couple of them. John chapter number 3, there was Nicodemus, a religious man who was lost, needing to be saved. We don't believe he was saved in John 3, do we? We believe he was saved later somewhere. But we do believe he was saved for sure. There was the Samaritan woman at the well, a much married woman, Clovis Chapel called her, in his writings. And then there's this impotent man, a man who just, he just can't see past his problems. Have you ever met anybody like that? I mean, there's something happened in their childhood. There's something happened... Years ago, there's something happened on the job. There's something happened back there. It doesn't matter where you start the conversation. They take you and they visit again back there. This man is the same. He just can't seem to get beyond his problems. We've noticed in John's gospel previously two miracles thus far in the book of John, noting the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ. The first was the turning of the water into wine at the marriage at Cana of Galilee. Jesus was a guest, and then he became host. His miracle was a miracle that uh, transcended time. In order to produce wine, you've got to plant the seed. After you've uh, broken up the ground, you've you've got to fertilize. You've it's a lot of things you've got to do right down to harvest. It's months of process in order to produce wine. But Jesus, in a few moments of time, produced wine, a full maturation. We talked about that. Then there was the healing of the nobleman's son. You will remember the nobleman. He besought the Lord on behalf of his son, and Jesus healed him. He transcended distance, didn't he? You remember we talked about how that Jesus was, uh, he was 20 miles from the nobleman's home, therefore 20 miles from the nobleman's son. And yet he healed him 20 miles away. He can touch a life halfway around the world today. I find myself often praying for Brother Vito Aomi, one of the missionaries we send just a little bit of support to on a monthly basis as a church body, and he's in the Himalayan mountains, the Himalayan regions. It's either four or five languages. He speaks fluently, and a lot of his ministry is slipping in and out of that mountainous region to the different villages and sharing the gospel of Christ with a family at a time or a man at a time or a woman and her children, just a few at a time. He risks his life every time he does so. The two previously recorded miracles in the gospel of John were a bit private, weren't they? Even when you consider the miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding of Cain of Galilee, 
really it was only Jesus, his disciples, the servants of the wedding that really knew where the wine come from. There was a lid that was kept on everything, not the wine. Everybody took the share of that. Say amen right there. You know I'm picking. <laughs> you know I'm picking on you. But even in the healing of the nobleman's sons, it was the nobleman, his family, and the servants, and then again, the disciples of Christ. There's not 12 with him at this point. May I remind us of that? But here, this miracle of healing the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda, this is public. And we did not cover, when we looked at the calling of Matthew, we did not look at the underhanded criticisms of Christ, but they were there. But here begins the public persecution of Christ. There are the religious leaders that will have ought against him, not because he heals the man, but because he did it on the Sabbath. There were some man-made attachments, 39, to be correct, 39 attachments that the Pharisees had attached to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You couldn't carry a burden. And whenever they saw this impotent man, he's finally healed, this crippled man that's finally healed. Jesus told him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. So he rolled his bed up. He rolled his quilt or his mat. He rolled his bed up and he was carrying it on the Sabbath, which was disallowed not by God, but was disallowed by the Pharisees and the religious institution of the day. And so they'll begin public persecution of Christ. They'll desire to kill him uh, over this. Now, the location for this miracle, you, you've already read it. You're familiar with the story. It's in the northeast corner of Jerusalem near the sheep market, John writes, at the pool of Bethesda. Must have meant something to John to write that down, inspired of the Spirit of God to write those words down. Near the sheep market. The sheep market was just inside the wall of Jerusalem, just inside the sheep gate. The sheep gate is where they brought the sheep into, and they would sell those sheep, or they would bring them in to be offered as sacrifices uh, in the temple. As he wrote that, he must have thought what he's already pinned down in his first chapter, when the baptizer, John the Baptist, whenever he uh, would herald, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. All these sheep coming in through the sheep gate, and here is the Lamb of God at the pool of Bethesda. This miracle takes place again, just mentioning the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda means the house of mercy. And here this old boy is. He doesn't know it, but today he's at Mercy Hospital. And Christ is going to help him with what, with what, uh, with what ails him and has ailed him for some 38 years. Read with me again, if you will, in verses 2 through 4. There's been a lot written about verse number 4. I'm going to give you my interpretation of that. Verses 2 through 4, the Bible says, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. The more progressive thinkers and minds regarding this passage uh, tried to tell us that there was an underground spring, or springs plural, that fed the pool of Bethesda. And sometimes there would be a gush, miraculously, of those springs, and it would cause the water to be uh, in a, a bit turbulent. Of course, I don't buy that for a moment. I have a couple of problems with that. Uh, verse number 4 still says what it says. 
I have no problem with that. The Bible says in verse number 4, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And here's my spin on that. Look back at verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now that's my spin on it. The, the golden rule of biblical interpretation is when the Bible makes sense, seek no other sense. I have no problem. I've been to the pool of Bethesda. There are no springs. There are no dried up springs that used to feed it. I have no problem believing that God dispatched an angel at certain seasons that troubled the water and the first one in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. If that is not the case, then why do you have the crowd that you have in verse 3 gathered? Uh, the maimed, the blind, the halt, the impotent. Why are they there? Why do they remain there? Why didn't this old boy just go home? I mean, if nobody's ever healed, why didn't he just go home? Why didn't they all go home? If something hasn't happened previously here at Mercy Hospital, here at uh, the Pool of Bethesda, here by the sheep market, just inside uh, the sheep gate. So this is a miracle of healing, and Jesus heals this man, this impotent man, he's He's um, he's dealt with this uh, condition for some 38 years. May I just give you, and I'm going to speak under four headings, all four will be very brief. May I just give you a reminder or two about miracles. Miracles and times of miracles. And before we go any farther, let me just state this. God is still in the miracle working business. God works miracles every day. I think the greatest miracle that we are able to witness, as much as we can witness it, is the saving of a soul. A man trusting Christ and calling upon him. The saving of the soul. I think that's the greatest miracle that we witness. And the change in his life or her life at the point of salvation on. I think that's the greatest miracle that any of us witness. But but as far as clusters of miracles that, that we find in the Bible, they come at transitional times, right? They come during the days, primarily during the days of Moses and Aaron. They come during the days when Elijah, the prophet of fire, would call a would call a, a backslidden Israel that have given themselves to Baal worship. He calls them back to the God of Israel. And God allows he and Elisha to perform miracles. God performed the miracles at their hand. And then at the hand of Christ and his apostles, uh, those miracles in the days of Christ and his apostles were given for confirmation. We know that because of Hebrews 2, verses 2 through 4, and 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10. Christ uh, authenticated, uh, God authenticated the, the message uh, that those uh, apostles and that Christ preached with sign gifts. Miracles were also given as, as a platform for the gospel to be preached. The two chapters that succeed each other are case in point. In Acts chapter number 2, there were miracles on the day of Pentecost. The miracles on the day of Pentecost did not allow for Simon Peter to set up an internet ministry. But rather, he preached Jesus of Nazareth, whom you have crucified. He preached the gospel to the Israelites that day that had gathered from every nation, every known nation in the area. He preached the gospel. On the next day, about the ninth hour, Peter and John were going up into the temple to pray in Acts chapter number 3. And Peter, um, Peter fastening his eyes upon the lame man, he said, look at me. He said, look on us. He said, silver and gold have I... Have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. 
And he did. Larry Winkler said he got up and he stood. And he liked that so much he did. He walked and said he liked that so much he began to leap. And he said, you know where he leaped to? Right into the temple, right through the temple door. And he did that, did he not? You remember what Simon Peter did when the people that had witnessed that man just healed outside the beautiful gate of the temple, when they saw him leaping and rejoicing over what God has done for him, you know what Simon did. He set him up or cleared him off the spot right there, and he preached the gospel. There are many recorded miracles of the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry, and this is one of them that we're looking at this morning. John 21, 25, let me remind you of this, and then we're looking at verse 3 and verse 5, first of all, in this chapter. But John said about the workings of Christ and the miracles of Christ, John 21, 25, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. I spent the last couple of months... Uh, uh, busy going and remaining at home, but working in my study. I've almost got it completed. I've gone through books and discarded books and given books and even ordered some books recently. And and uh, so there's no way I can read everything I have on my shelves. If I live to be 150, I suppose, maybe I could, as slow a reader as I am. But John said if we would have written everything down that we witnessed Christ doing, the world couldn't even contain the books that would record it. Notice this impotent man. Notice how long he's been in this condition. Verse number 3 and verse number 5. The Bible says, In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, of halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. He points out one. He says in verse 5, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. For thirty-eight years this man has lived in this condition. Nearly four decades of time, he's lived with this infirmity. He's lived with this disability. Thirty-eight years, the springtime has come and rolled past. Thirty-eight years, the summer, the fall, and the winter has come, and it is gone. These thirty-eight years that are pointed out here reminds us of Israel's history in the wilderness after they fell back in unbelief and began to wander in the wilderness. You remember the story, don't you? Thirty-eight years from that point on, they would wander in the wilderness, as an impotent nation, as a crippled nation, a nation that God had set his affections upon. Listen to Deuteronomy 2.14. The Bible says, And the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we were come over the brook Zered was thirty and eight years, until all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host, as the Lord swear unto them. Thirty-eight years they... They made trips around the wilderness floor, 38 years, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, for 38 years. God was waiting on a generation that disbelieved him to die off, and he's going to take a Joshua and a young generation that dared to believe him, he's going to take them across the Jordan River into the promised land of Canaan. 38 years, same old, same old. So it is with this man. Many years ago, a Cook County sewer employee in Chicago, Illinois, was asked about his life. If he could describe his life in a sentence, he said, I think I can. He said, I dig the ditch to get the money, to buy the food, to get the strength, to dig the ditch. He was saying, I get up today and do what I did yesterday. I'll do it again tomorrow. It's just kind of the same old, same old. The book of Ecclesiastes is about that. There's nothing new under the sun. It's all vanity. 
whatever you put your hands to, one of these days you will leave it behind. Whatever you experience will be buried with you in the dust. It's just all vanity. It's useless at the end of the journey if you know not God. Without Christ, there's no hope in this world, nor in the world to come. None of it makes any sense, does it? Without the Lord Jesus Christ, without God, without the Lord Jesus, without the Spirit of God, without the Scriptures and their teaching, it really none of it makes any sense. Without a potter, the, the clay is good for nothing. Without a Savior, a sinner has no hope. Ecclesiastes 3.11, I fought on this the last few days. Ecclesiastes 3.11 begins, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. The older I get, the more I see that about my life, Jim. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Listen to what First uh, Timothy 6.17, we'll get there in a couple of three months on Wednesday in our studies on, on Wednesdays from First Timothy. Listen to what he wrote. I'm more interested in the latter part of the verse than I am the first two-thirds of it. Paul would write to Timothy and say, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, listen to this, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I was telling the church, the neighbor church down the road, everywhere I look, Brother David, I see the hand of God. I'm so God-conscious in my own life. I was thinking of what I thought as a young man. I never felt like I'd live to see 30 and then wondered if I'd see 40, then 50, and here I am at 110. Look at me now. God has let me enjoy richly all things in my life. I feel sorry for some of the folk who are like the fellow asked about the horse with the long face. He said, you know what this is, don't you? He said, it's a Christian. has to be a Christian. He said, why would you call him a Christian? He said, look at the long face. He said, he has to be a Christian. I thought of the blessings of God he's allowed me to enjoy. I've traveled around the country. I've traveled around the world. This won't mean anything to you unless you're a grandparent. I remember when the first grandbaby come along. I cried like a baby. As a matter of fact, I remember babysitting him. I'd sing a little old song, and I used to play drums, and I'd hit a lick on my chest, and he'd, he'd juke, son. He'd have a time, and I would too. He came in the house um, for Thanksgiving, wasn't it, Amanda? Come in the house, and Amanda had a wall, one of the walls decorated. Every time I go away to a meeting, away from home, when I come back, I have to turn the light on or I'll break my fool neck. She takes it upon herself to rearrange at least one room while I'm gone. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. She does it every time I leave and go away. She may tear it apart and put it back together, and I may hit the road again next week. When I, she may, It may be the same room, but it's that way. And Noah, he's 11 years old now. He's going to be a big fella. Noah come in. Amanda had one of my little baby pictures just above being a baby. And he looked at it, and he said, look, said to his mom, he said, look, mom, I look like somebody. He said, I look like somebody. He didn't think he looked like anybody in the family. That don't bless you, but it blessed me, Greg. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. You ought to enjoy the journey. Do you know even the medical world tells you if you'll go out and sit down by a rose bush and smell the fragrance of a rose, it naturally lowers your blood pressure. It's amazing. We get caught up in this riffraff of a world when God wants to minister to us 
where we are. And I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel or feel-good gospel this morning, but our God cares for His people. And I'm grateful for that. I wish I'd caught some of that earlier on in life. Without God, none of it makes any sense to me. (laughs) Without the Lord Jesus, none of it makes any sense. Without the Spirit of God to guide my life, none of it makes any sense. Without the Word of God and reading it and realizing that God has a plan for each of our lives, none of it makes any sense. I'm sure it made no sense for this man. Look at him. Look at his frailty and weakness of body. He cannot help himself. Verses 6 and 7, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, It don't make any sense. He said, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. It makes no sense. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. I don't know about you, many, many dread death. One of our men spoke to me out front last week before the service began. He said, it's not dying. He said, it's not death itself. He said, it's the process of dying. We all dread. That's the case, isn't it? I mean, because if we understand death and its transformation of the child of God, it's just in a moment of time you turn from this world and you're in the next. It's that process of dying. These lungs wearing out, this blood breaking down, this heart stopping, this mind ceasing to function as it wants. It's that process of the body breaking down. But I tell you what I, what I don't want. I hope God will be merciful. I dread disability. I don't want to be a burden on my wife. I don't want to be a burden on my children. It wouldn't bother Amanda to take care of me. She said to look after me. I don't know where anything's at in the house unless it's my guns or books. Every Baptist preacher ought to have a house full of books and a house full of guns. Say amen right there. I just got a brand new and shot it six times yesterday, and I I just about want to go back to the cowboy Indian days. I want to shoot it again. I'm going to get in the flush right here, but you're talking about a hog leg, Jim. It is a hoggish leg, son. It's a boy dog, and I love it. I love to shoot. Um, but this, this breaking down in life, have you ever taken care of somebody with dementia or they can't stand on their own and you have to pick them up, put them in their wheelchair, pick them up from the wheelchair, put them in the car, Take them from the car, put them in the wheelchair, bring them in the home, put them in the bed. Melissa remembers uh, all of us pitching in trying to take care of um, our grandmother, and her mind was slipping. Melissa wouldn't harm a flea. She'll beat the devil out of Troy, but she wouldn't harm the rest of us. But she got it in her head. We were trying to do her harm. That was dementia. I dread that sort of stuff, don't you? I mean, I don't really dread it. I just don't want it to play out in my life. I told my kids, as a matter of fact, uh, last year, I said, look, something happens, just stick us in a nursing home somewhere. Put us in the same room. We'll be all right. Disability. Disability. I must hasten on. Notice his, his continued fight with this disability. Watch verse 7. He says to Christ, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. There were times at the troubling of the water, he thought, I'm going to get there. I will be healed. Today's my day. And somebody else would jump in. Somebody else would step in before him. 
for this stated and stated it myself through the years. Repeated defeat. I don't care who you are. Repeated defeat's hard company. Sometimes you wonder why some people behave the way they behave. But if you could look where they come from, you would understand why they behave the way they behave. If you came from a good place in life and a good station, you ought to thank God for that. Not everybody comes from there. Now, God knows where they come from, but not everybody comes from there. How many times have we made the statement, one step forward, two steps back, the way life hits us, this man never had any forward progress. He never had anyone to help him. He had no, no one to care. As a matter of fact, that's what he said, is it not? Verse number 7, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no, no man. I, there's nobody. I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. Perhaps when he was younger in life, there were people that were there. People who cared. Maybe a mother and a father. Maybe siblings. But after 38 years now, there's nobody. there's nobody who is there. Every time I think along those lines, I'm reminded in my heart that we have a great high priest that is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. There is someone who's there. There is someone who cares. There is someone who remains for, for it all and through it all. Is it not? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's this man in his plight. Look with me at verses 3 through 7 again, if you will. Let's read them. Then I want to point out just a couple of particulars here and we'll move on. Verses 3 through 7, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. No matter what he had, he's made whole. He's the first one in, the Bible says. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. You notice where he's concentrated. The Lord asked him a question. Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want help for your problem? And all he sees that pool. All he think about is where he's lived and what he's facing. Verse number 7, you notice his focus. It's on the pool. It's on the angel. It's on the rat race, the foot race. It's on, it's on this horrible situation, to say the least. You notice the company he's keeping in verse number 3. He can't shake them, can he? They've all gathered in there, wanting the same thing, unable to attain it. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. It's discouraging to say the very least. Reminds me of the havoc that sin has wrought in this world. Do you know there's a lot of people today that's wallowing in their sin and wallowing in their misery. There's a lot of folk that are bitter and resentful and envious and jealous and lustful. There's a lot of people fighting and don't know what they're fighting. It's because of this sin-cursed world, the havoc that sin is, uh, has left this world in. I'll tell you, though sin has wrought havoc in this world, Christ offers hope and somebody should have got word to this man. Isaiah's already prophesied in Isaiah 36, verses 3 to 6. It's been there the whole time. Those verses say, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. I think about that. I think of what was stated after the, 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 the virgin birth of Christ has been prophesied. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Listen to me. You're here today, dear heart, and you've never been saved. There's hope for you. It's found in the cross of Calvary, our blessed Savior. Went to the cross to die for your sin and for mine. It's yours for the coming unto Him. This world will beat you all to pieces and throw you away and walk away. They'll look down their nose as though you are lesser than because to them you are. Ah, but the Lord Jesus cares for the sinner. We ought to take recess, go down the barn, turn the mules out, and just run. Amen. That Christ would care for us. Dear lady, Christ cares for you. (laughs) Dear man, God cares for you. Young person, God cares for you. So much so he sent his son to the cross of Calvary to pay your sin debt. Chores for the having today. Would you have it? Will thou be made whole? Housewife, would you be made whole? Medical worker, would you be made whole? Student, would you be made whole today? The answer is found in Christ. He asked, wilt thou be made whole? Yet this man, here he is, wrapped up in his own world. All he sees is problem, and he's got his eyes on that pool at Bethesda. He can't even see that God himself is standing there in front of him. Is that not where we are? We used to say, leave your problems outside the door of the church when you come on Sunday. I've changed that the last three or four years. Bring them in here with you. The Lord wants your problems and you wants every bit of it. He'll speak to you about it all if you'll let him. I tell you, sometimes we get our eyes on our problems, can't even see that God is in the midst. God's Word is being preached and being taught and is before us, and God has a Word for everyone, each one of us today. I think of the words, I thought of this this week, meditating on this passage of Scripture again. The chimes of time ring out, the news another day is through. Someone slipped and fell, was that someone you? You may have longed for added strength, your courage to renew. Do not be disheartened. I have news for you. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he will do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. May we not hide our candle under a bushel. But may we share the gospel far and wide. This old boy can't see beyond where he's at. David was in a such situation once upon a time. He wrote about it. Psalm 61, verses 1 to 4. He said, Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. He said, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter. I know what you've been for me. And a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. You know, a little banny chick, safest place for her to be is under the wings of that little mama hen. Jesus told Jerusalem as he wept over the city, he said, I'd have done that for you. Brother Ronnie, you don't remember it. I wouldn't think you would remember it. I remember it well. 
Uh, you came to see us over at Thaxton, and we were bowed under, back under my barn top. And there was a little little mama banny hen, and she had her little biddies with her. And uh, and then all of a sudden, I don't know if a, if a dog come trotting up or something, then she began to cluck, and those little biddies got up around her, got up under, and she just kind of hovered over them and bristled up on the back as if to say to that dog, you don't want to try to come any farther and harm my babies. I'll get you with everything I've got. And you looked at me and you said, Preacher, we've got Bible for that, don't we? Isn't it amazing? David said, when my heart is overwhelmed, that word overwhelmed means to be clothed and covered in darkness to the point that every step, with every step, there's a danger to falling. He said, Lord, I'm in darkness. I know you're there. I know what you have done. But I can't get to where you are. I cannot get to a good place in my life. He said, lead me to the rock. Come to where I am and lead me. I need your help. Anybody like that today? Anybody? You say, Preacher, you don't know where I am. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know what I've been through. May I remind us all of the God that I serve today. Hebrews 7 and 25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them. To the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Brother David, Brother R.J. used to, Used to quote that verse a lot while he'd be preaching revival meeting. He'd talk about God saving, able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. I used to love to hear him say that. He'd give that little sidewinder grin. He'd say he can save from the guttermost to the uttermost. And I always love to hear him say that. But do you know what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying when he's able to, when he says that he's able to save to the uttermost? That means he's able to save completely. You might prove anything to anybody. You just come to Christ. He's able to save you just as completely as he did the preacher. What a God we serve that will accept you on those terms. We were preaching in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 here recently on giving. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. He said, I'm able to give you what you need to do the work that I've called you to. Jude 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Then he said, Amen. One of these days, he's going to take all his youngins and gather them up. And he's going to present us faultless. You say, Preacher, you don't know where I've been. You don't know where I've been. You say, Preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. I was over at Jeff Williams' store many years ago when it was still over on the Hurricane Road. And P. Roy, Brother Roy Crouch, was pumping gas for him. You remember those, those days when Roy worked over there? And I went in and Jeff said, Do you remember around the court square the... Uh, city police was sitting there, and you and all that happened. And I said, that's what I used to do, Jeff. And Roy reminded me of that here a while back. I really don't think in those terms. Here's what the terms I think in. One of these days, I'm going to stand before the throne of God, and we'll present, be presented faultless. No record of it. Christ was treated on the cross of Calvary as though he had lived my life, had done what I've done, and now I'm treated as though I've lived his in the sight of God. I, I promise you I'm going to be through in just a moment. I, I think about right now, 
back in high school, uh, some of us had gotten some trouble and I had to take a three day vacation. And when they brought me back, I had to see the assistant principal with my mom and my mom, I'm standing there before Jack Ezel. And she said, Mr. Ezel, I'm embarrassed. And she was, she said, I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry that he cut class and I'm sorry that what's happened has happened. And she said, I, I appreciate you punishing him. He did it. He got punished at home as well. Said, I think he deserves a paddling. And I thought, you ought not do me that way. And he got me. He got me. Matter of fact, he and uh, Jack, June, and, and myself, we've laughed about it over the years. It wasn't funny at the time. But you know, one of these days, the accuser of the brethren, he can bring up exhibit A through Z and do it all over again. He can call every witness against me he wants to. But in the end of it all, the Lord's going to hold up a nail-pierced hand and say, He's with me. Case dismissed out of court. No beating, no stripes. I'm grateful for that. Notice the compassion of our Lord, verse number 6. And I'll finish with this. Watch this. The Bible says, and when Jesus saw him lie. That word saw is, comes from a word that doesn't speak of just a glance, a glancing look of, so, of sorts. In other words, the Lord didn't have to be told he'd been in this case for some 38 years. He knew when he saw him, he knew who he was. He knew where he'd been. He knew of his disabilities. He knew no one could help him. The Bible says, when Jesus saw him lie and know. I've said to a couple of the brethren in the ministry as of late, again, I'll say it quite often. It helps me just knowing God knows. And he's all right through it all, so I've got to be all right myself. You remember what Jesus said to the messenger of the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter number 2, the crushed church? He said, now, John, when you write that pastor, he's going to read this brief letter to the church. Tell him in verse 9, tell him, I said, I know. I know thy tribulation and poverty. I know. Brother Dana Williams says that uh, if you go to the Lord and thank him for a new car, there's nothing wrong with a new car. But the Lord, if he were to speak back from heaven audibly, he's not going to. But if he were to, he might say, well... I appreciate you thanking me for it. I could have prevented you from having it. So I do thank you. Uh, you do recognize where our abilities come from and blessings. And, but he said, I can't fellowship with you in the, the new car. I didn't have one. So I don't identify with that. You could thank him for a new home. and He might say, well, I appreciate that. I, but I didn't have a place to pillow my head. My head. I had no place to call my own while I was there so I can't fellowship with you there but brother Dana goes on to say but if you were to say to the Lord now Lord I'm struggling I'm hurting he says I know that helps me may not help you notice the command given to the man I'm done verse 8 Jesus saith unto him rise Take up thy bed and walk. He told him to do something he has not done in 38 years. He said, rise. He said, get up. He said, take up thy bed. Get away from your problem. 
And he said, now walk. That word walk comes from the word pair of patea, means to walk around or to walk about. And so it is with every child of God. It's one thing the critics cannot explain away, isn't it? The walk of the child of God, the changed life, the fruit that comes from that life. We'll pick up here uh, next week. I came across, again, one of the stories of Joni Erickson Tata. You ladies, I mentioned her back, it's been two to three years ago, and you wrote her name down, bought some of her books, a handful of you uh, wrote her name down, and that encourages me. She's a member of a church out on the West Coast. She was left a quadriplegic after a diving accident. Um, there was a period of time that um, she was bitter to God, toward God. She was strapped to her hospital bed, and and uh, her hospital bed would rotate, and she would stare at the floor for so many hours. They would pull her back up in so many hours, and on her back so many hours. That's all she had, and everybody kept telling her, all these pleasantries, and finally she screamed and said, Everybody, please leave the room. Bitter, bitter toward God. Couldn't even take her own life if she wanted to attempt it. But through the years, she has proven to be a source of abounding joy and untold peace, and has helped so many ladies and men alike across the years. She has folk help her to write articles. They do the pinning for her. In one of her books, she wrote this. She said, being glorified. She said, I know the meaning of that now. It's the time after my death when I shall be on my feet dancing. She wasn't set free physically, but in her spirit she was free. And maybe there's somebody here this morning. That's what you need. To be set free. A lot of folk are satisfied, aren't they? Just to remain in bondage or something of the sort. Whatever that bondage may be. That Christ sets the captive free. Wilt thou be made whole? Let's stand. Drew, would you come back please, ma'am?